Welcome to day six of how to build a godly and manly foxhole. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson of Undaunted Life. Let's get into it. All right, guys, let's go ahead and recap the first five days of this devotional because in each day we dove into a different question. So the first day we looked at what makes a godly man. Then we moved on to what makes a manly man. And then can you be both godly and manly? Then was Jesus a manly man? And then yesterday we looked at what is a foxhole. So day one, what is a godly man? We looked at the truce outside the self. That's the narrative of humanity that we all live in. We all play a part in. And the second was truce displayed publicly, which this answers the question, what makes a godly man? So we listed some characteristics that we found from the Bible for what a godly man is. And then the second day we looked at what makes a manly man. So at Undaunted Life, we have a definition of what a man is, and it's this. A man is a male that cultivates spiritual, mental, and physical resilience daily. Then we also looked at the example of deceased. Navy SEAL Adam Brown, and then also Paul whenever he wrote his second letter to Timothy. Then in day three, we looked at, can you be both godly and manly? And yes, of course, you can be both godly and manly, regardless of what the church or Western culture tells you. You can be both. We looked at Adam Brown again as a great example of that, and then we went deep into the story of Nehemiah, specifically the first four chapters of that book. Then we looked at, was Jesus a manly man? That was day four, and so obviously Jesus is godly because he is God, but Jesus is a manly man because he's the perfect man. He's a perfect man, perfectly manly. And then Jesus also cultivated spiritual, mental, and physical resilience daily. We looked at stories of of him turning over the tables in the temple, his 40 days out in the desert being tempted, those types of things. And then yesterday we looked at what is a foxhole. And then we gave you this definition. A foxhole is a group of men that constantly push each other to cultivate spiritual, mental, and physical resilience daily. Then we also talked about how Jesus had a foxhole and that was the 12 apostles. And so we, we definitely went into a lot of detail there in terms of Jesus having a foxhole. So guys, with all those lessons, if you haven't listened, today's one through five, make sure that you go back and listen to those before you take in today's content. But today's question that we're going to be looking at is why do men need a foxhole? Because now you, you know what a foxhole is. That's great. You know what it is, but why do you need it? Now this should be simple, especially if you remember what we talked about yesterday. So why do men need a foxhole? Because Jesus had one. All right, guys, that wraps up the devotional for today. I mean, I could just wrap up there because Jesus had one. We're supposed to be disciples of Christ, and so we just need to model after what he does. But I'm going to digress a little bit because I'm sure some of you need a little bit more convincing in terms of making sure that that's something that's true for you. But great. We know that Jesus had a foxhole. That's wonderful. But why did he have a foxhole? And then why should you have a foxhole? And guys, one of the first times that I kind of really reckoned with this concept of having a foxhole and not being in the military, right? Just a foxhole in your everyday suburban life or whatever type of life you're leading. And I remember whenever I read Wild at Heart for the first time by John Eldridge, and I remember the concept kind of being in in there, but it wasn't until I reread Wild at Heart years down the road that this really started to kind of formulate into a philosophy that I wanted to kind of go at a little bit further. And so I'm going to read a section from chapter nine of Wild at Heart, and the chapter is called A Battle to Fight the strategy. So Eldridge was basically discussing how we need to use Christ's authority and to walk in it. So let's go ahead and go into that section here. One more thing. Don't even think about going into battle alone. Don't even try to take the masculine journey without at least one man by your side. Yes, there are times a man must face the battle alone in the wee hours of the morn and fight with all he's got. But don't make that a lifestyle of isolation. This may be our weakest point, as David Smith points out in The Friendless American Male. One serious problem is the friendless condition of the average American male. Men find it hard to accept that they need the fellowship of other men. Thanks to the men's movement, the church understands now that a man needs other men, but what we've offered is another two-dimensional solution, accountability groups or partners. 
Ugh, that sounds so old covenant. You're really a fool and you're just waiting to rush into sin, so we'd better post a guard by you to keep you in line. We don't need accountability groups. We need fellow warriors, someone to fight alongside, someone to watch our back. A young man just stopped me on the street to say, I feel surrounded by enemies and I'm all alone. The whole crisis in masculinity today has come because we no longer have a warrior culture, a place for men to learn to fight like men. We don't need a meeting of really nice guys. We need a gathering of really dangerous men. That's what we need. I think of Henry V at Agincourt. His army had been reduced to a small band of tired and weary men. Many of them are wounded. They are outnumbered five to one, but Henry rallies his troops to his side when he reminds them that they are not mercenaries, but a band of brothers. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while any speaks that fought with us. Yes, we need men to whom we can bear our souls, but it isn't going to happen with a group of guys you don't trust, who really aren't willing to go to battle with you. It's a long-standing truth that there is never a more devoted group of men than those who have fought alongside one another, the men of your squadron, the guys in your foxhole. It will never be a large group, but we don't need a large group. We need a band of brothers willing to shed their blood with us. So guys, that is just a seminal passage for me in all the books that I've read and all the books that I've taken in on this subject matter, that right there kind of encapsulates why this is so important. But I have three big takeaways that I took from that passage. The first is being in a foxhole prevents you from being in isolation. And that is a massive problem for so many men. We've mentioned it, you know, several other times in this devotional that so many men are just alone. And a lone wolf doesn't prosper. We know that. Like we know that in nature and we know that in our everyday lives. And isolation can be a very dangerous thing because isolation can lead you deeper into your addictions. It can lead you deeper into your depression. It can lead to some horrific outcomes for your health, potentially even suicide. Most of these people that end up taking their own lives, these weren't people that had a tremendous support system around them. Sometimes that does happen, right? But a lot of these men that take their own life, they feel like they're alone. And part of that is because they're allowing themselves to be alone. And this isolation is an epidemic for a lot of men because making friends isn't as easy as it was back in high school or back, you know, when they were in the army or back whenever they were playing intramural softball every weekend. It's not as easy now. And that's an issue for a lot of guys. The second big takeaway from this passage is that we need to surround ourselves with dangerous men. Okay, so one of the things that we look at whenever a, a man is surrounding himself with other men, I don't want to be surrounded with men that I'm worried about what will happen if really, if things pop off, I'll say. If things get dangerous or things become a, a dangerous situation for me and the people around me, I don't want to look to my left and to my right and think, I don't know if I can trust this guy. I think this guy is going to go hide in the corner. I think this guy is going to leave me on my own here. I don't think this guy is going to be ready to do what he needs to do to make sure that we can all get out of here alive. But the thing about being a dangerous man, most people think like, oh my gosh, that's a horrible thing to say. Why would you want a man to be dangerous? The thing is, is you want men to be dangerous, but you want them to have it under voluntary control. That's what that means. When, when we talk about the meek inheriting the earth, we don't understand the word meekness correctly in our modern context because we look at meek and we think of that as weak. But no, meekness is basically where you are a dangerous person, but you have it under control. You know how to fight in, in every way that, the, that you can fight, but you don't do it 
unless the situation calls for, unless it is a righteous thing to do. You need to surround yourself with dangerous men. And the last big takeaway from that section is that we need to be in a group that is forged in warfare. Okay, and I want to kind of throw this out there again. I know people play out the warfare thing again, especially people that have never been to war. But I'm not just talking about warfare in some, you know, godforsaken desert overseas. That, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Okay, what I'm talking about is the warfare for your mind. Are you helping the people around you? Are the people around you helping you control your mind, control your thoughts to keep you from lusting, to keep you from coveting? to keep you from doing those things that will destroy you from the inside out. It's the warfare of someone who's about to get a divorce, right? Because they just can't reconcile the differences with their spouse. And you draw a line in the sand and you say, no, we're going to fight with you. We're going to fight alongside you and we're going to help you maintain your covenant. That's what we're going to do. You know what? Your family's going through it right now. There's obviously some spiritual warfare going on in your household. I'm going to come alongside you and help fight this battle against the dark forces using the name of Christ to do so. That's what we need. That's warfare. And and guys, those situations will just come up. You're going to suddenly lose a family member. You know, I have people in my foxhole that have lost children, right? You know, just these horrific situations. That's warfare. The, The subsequent things that you're having to deal with because you're depressed and you're torn up, that's warfare. And you need a group of guys that's been forged by that. And so all this reminds me of a truly amazing story from the Gospels that I really don't think gets enough play. I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time I had a a preacher or a pastor really go through this story, and it's been a while. And so when I went over it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. So this is what we see in Mark 2, and it's verses 1 through 12. I'll go and read them here. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Guys, that is such a cool story, but it's a cool story for these three main reasons. This is my first big takeaway from that story. The first thing is, these men are clearly friends of the paralytic. In fact, I would say these are 3 a.m. friends. These are I'm on my way types of friends. I mean, you can't really expect to see this amount of dedication otherwise. I mean, these guys, these men would simply not be denied, right? They were going to get this man to Jesus. It's hard for me to conceive that these were just four strangers that just walked up. Oh, this guy needs help. Let's take him over to this Jesus guy, see if they can fix him up. No, these are friends of this guy. This is probably this guy's foxhole that's trying to make this happen for him. And don't miss this important key. These dudes didn't just lower their buddy through a hole in the roof. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool in and of itself. They created the hole in the roof. All so their buddy might be healed. Right? This wasn't a guarantee. 
These guys didn't know that this was going to happen for their friend, but they're like, you know what? We're digging a hole in this roof and we're getting this guy to this Jesus fella because maybe he can help him out. Amazing, amazing story. The second big takeaway from this passage is this. Jesus is just flexing on these doubters. Flexing. I mean, again, you read this and you take all the personality of Jesus out, but just think about what he's saying in this situation. Think about the look in his eye. I'm going to go back to verse 8 and we'll read through verse 11 here. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Because again, Jesus knew what these guys were thinking, so that's weird in and of itself. These guys are probably freaked out, like, oh, oh, crap, this dude like knew what I was thinking about. Now he's like saying it, and he's referring to it, that this is a problem for me. I need to, you know, kind of control my thoughts. But then he was just like, I mean, you're mad because I'm talking about the fact that I can forgive this person's sins. But is that incredible? Or is it more incredible that I'm telling this paralyzed man to get up, take his bed, and walk around? And then he just does it. Hey, check this out, right? There's part of me that thinks that Jesus is just staring at these guys. And then he turns to the paralytic, says what he has to say, and then turns right back to these doubters and says, how about that? How you like that? I mean, he's totally flexing on these guys. I love it. I love the personality of Jesus. And the third big takeaway here is they acted as a faithful foxhole. These men, these men that carried the paralytic, they acted as a faithful foxhole. Again, verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Not whenever he saw just the regular faith of this one man or this one person over there or just in general because all these people are there to watch something cool happen because Jesus is around. No, he saw their faith as a group. They acted as a faithful, godly, manly unit in that moment. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven because he saw that faith. That's incredible. That's the type of group that you need to build around yourself. So, We come back to our question for the day, and it's, why do men need a foxhole? And this reminds me of one of the most effective and definitive inventions in the history of ground warfare, and that's the phalanx. So I'm sure many of you have heard about the phalanx concept, but for those of you that are not familiar, this can be traced back all the way to the 25th century BC in Samaria. And we know mainly about it today because of Greek literature, namely the writings of Homer in the 8th century BC. The phalanx is a formation defined by its tight, rectangular shape. Okay. So it's kind of like a gigantic moving turtle shell, if you will. So the shape was basically held together by soldiers that had shields in their left hand and spears in their right hand. Okay. So essentially what you were doing is you were shielding the man to your left and the man to your right was shielding you. That was the phalanx. It was a great defensive formation because the close interlocking shields, they created a force field of sorts to defend against, you know, enemy spears and arrows. They would just kind of bounce off or skid away or something like that. But it was also a great offensive formation because you could move very slowly, very deliberately, and as one formation, right? And then you could easily outlast your opponents if they weren't using the phalanx as well. So the key to the phalanx, and this is the big thing that some people miss with the phalanx, but this is the big key. This is why it works so well for so long. Everyone has to commit 100% to the phalanx. If anyone faltered or ran away, 
the phalanx would almost immediately shatter. Especially if someone ran away and, and the gap wasn't filled immediately, the phalanx was going to fall apart. And then you're, you're back to kind of normal warfare at that point. But here's the deal. We also have reports from those days of commanders where they would put family members together side by side on the phalanx so that they would be less likely to flee like a coward if they were charged with defending their father to their left and their son to their right or maybe their brother or their uncle or their cousin, you know, something like that. It was so important, but everyone knew that if you don't work as a unit, it's going to be a problem. So we're going to put you right next to the people to remind you of the fact that you need to stay in this phalanx, regardless of what happens, regardless of the discomfort you might feel or how hard this is, or the fact that maybe you don't even want to be there fighting. We're going to put these people around you so that you don't take off. So here's the point with the point with all of this really is that you can't do battle alone. And yes, to the guy listening to this right now, I'm talking to you specifically. You cannot do battle alone. It's not going to work for you long term. It, it may have worked for you for a little bit, for a small stretch of your life. It's not going to work for you. You need dangerous men around you that are willing to go to battle for and with you. Again, Having that band of brothers, that foxhole around you, those dangerous men, that is how you will develop and improve moving forward, regardless of your station in life. And it won't happen by accident either. I mean, foxholes don't just forge themselves. They don't just happen by accident. And tomorrow we're going to talk a whole lot more about that. But if you're going to build and maintain a foxhole, that is a purposeful endeavor. You're meaning to do that in a certain way, in a certain fashion. So to find out how to build and maintain your foxhole, please do not miss tomorrow. But before you move on to the next thing, here are some questions for you to ask yourself. Number one, have you allowed yourself to become isolated? Now, guys, this should be a decent one for you to, to answer if you're being honest with yourself. But honestly, you should look at this as indicative of the larger narrative of your life because you should be able to look around and tell very quickly whether or not you're isolated. And I'm specifically talking about isolated from other dangerous men, because you might be like, well, I'm not isolated. I got my wife. I've got my two little kids. I got my dog. Like I'm not isolated, but you're isolated in terms of having a foxhole in terms of having people to turn to if things are going wrong with the people inside your house. The second question is this, are you surrounded by dangerous men that have been forged by warfare? Because some of you guys are surrounded by men, right? Because in terms of the male, female binary, there are men around you. Like they are in your life, but these aren't dangerous men. These are just dudes. They're just neighbors. They're just coworkers. They're just family members. These aren't people that are forged by warfare. These aren't people that are going to intercede on your behalf, spiritually, mentally, or physically. Are you surrounded by guys like that? Or are you surrounded by dangerous men? And the last question is who to your right is protecting you and who to your left are you protecting? Again, this is going back to the phalanx, and this is to get you to look internally to be like, who are the guys right next to me that are serving me that I am also serving? Because those guys are going to be there. You need to have those guys in your life. You need to work towards that. But also, this isn't just about being defended. This isn't just about getting your needs met. This is about serving others as well. I want to make sure that you're doing that. 
All right, guys, for more content like this, check out the rest of our podcast episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review and a five-star rating and check out our website at www.undaunted.life. Make sure you come back tomorrow for the final day of this devotional, day seven, where we show you how to build and maintain your foxhole. Until then, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.